Today I'm in, in Acts 1, and I call this sermon today, What to Do When God Will Not Do What He's Supposed To. Now, I meant that to be a little silly and a little funny and get your attention, but that's exactly how many of us think. God ought to be doing this, and for us, He doesn't seem to be doing it. And I, I want to be very um, honest with you. I'm not sure why God put this section of Scripture in the Bible. I got a problem with it. It, it. On one sense, I think what happened shouldn't have happened. On the other sense, there's some really good stuff there that happened that we can get some good lessons from. Now, that's why God puts it there, I know. But God never, he doesn't agree with me about this passage because he doesn't say anything about it. He may agree with me, but he didn't tell me. Okay? Uh, because I think Peter messed up. But God didn't say Peter messed up. And so Peter might not have messed up, but I don't understand if he didn't because I got some other problems. So you'll understand later when I say all that. And so I don't know if you've ever been there in Scripture. You find a Scripture and you go, hmm, I don't get that. Well, you know, we may not get it before it's all over. And as a pastor, as a preacher, let, let me tell you, uh, and, and when you're preaching through a Bible book like I do, I like to preach through books, you always come to a place that you don't know what to do with. In fact, you don't even want to talk about it. And, and you don't know how to talk about it. But you said you're going to go verse by verse, so you got to cover it. So you go to commentaries, great men of God with great degrees and lifelong study of the Scripture. And you go to get their insight. And they skip over it because they don't know either, okay? <laughs> so it's really difficult sometimes to get a, get a good handle on some things. But nevertheless, I want you to, I want you to get something really good out of this today. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. If you go ahead and put that phrase up. Trust God even when he's not doing what you think he should be doing. I, I saw a sign that said, I'm not bossy, I just know what you ought to be doing. And we get that way with God. We tell God, hey, you need to do this. And, and God goes, really? You know, you think so, huh? And, and, and we get aggravated with God when he doesn't do it the way we would have done it. So would you stand with me? We're going to read, uh, uh, begin in verse 15, uh, to the end of the chapter, um, these verses. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus for... He was numbered among us and was uh, allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, Akeldama. And that is a field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Now notice Peter's sureness there, must become. One of these must become. It's got to be one of these guys and he has to take this office. I, I can't find that anywhere that Jesus told him that. And they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the 
hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we, we are so excited about parts of your word that we really don't understand because you, you're calling us, number one, to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Number two, to dig deeper and to think deeper about what you're telling us in those passages. And Lord, I, I know I'm not adequate for this. I, I know that I, I'm not smart enough for any of this. So Lord, right now we acknowledge all of our weakness, all of us do, and, and confess we need the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here with us today to, to open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring the Bible. Thank you, Father, for sending Christ. Christ, thank you for coming and dying on a cross for us that we might have forgiveness and receive the Holy Spirit that we can understand your will. So help us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, I'm going to tell you what this passage says and, and, and what's going on here. Um, but I just as a forewarning, I'm going to kind of, this is called springboard. Uh, you know, like when a diver jumps off the board to get more height. I'm going to springboard off of, off of one thing in here, one concept to talk about one other little thing. That'll be toward the end. But I want you to understand what's going on. So remember what I want you to remember today. Trust God even when he's not doing what you think he ought to be doing. Because here's the situation. What had Jesus commanded them to do? The Bible lets us know in Acts 1 and, and, and Luke 24. And as you know, Luke wrote Luke and the book of Acts. If you don't know that, you just learned it. Uh, Luke is a human author of both books. And in Luke, the last chapter, chapter uh, 24 and verse 49, here's what we read. Um, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. He repeats that phrase in Acts chapter 2. Peter repeats it in Acts chapter 2, I think it's verse 30. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Okay? And Acts 1, 4, Jesus says, and it's a, re- a repetition. Luke writes it again. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, not many days from now. I'm sorry, but the first of the verse, I jumped into the middle. But while uh, staying with them, he ordered them, ordered them. And, you know, when Jesus makes a suggestion, that is an order. But here it says he ordered them, so he must have emphasized it, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What I get out of that is what Jesus had told them was to wait. Just hang out until something happens. You know, and it's one of those situations, I can imagine the disciples saying, well, how do we know when it's going to happen? He went, you're going to know. You know, hey, listen, I don't know about you, but I just believe when God who created the spoken word, the Bible says in Genesis 1, and the spirit moved on the face of the deep. So the spirit was involved in creation. When that same Holy Spirit comes and invades your mortal body of clay, something's going to happen. And you won't have to be questioning what was that? I mean, you're going to know, right? And, and so it, it always marvels me, Christians who carry the Holy Spirit in them, Live lives as if he doesn't. You at least get that out of this. 
And so Jesus told him to wait. He told him to wait in a specific place. He said, go to Jerusalem. He told him to wait for a specific event, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he gave them a specific message was to preach the gospel after they were filled by the Holy Spirit. Right? So they've got a specific place, a specific event, and a specific task. And nowhere in Scripture that I can find, and if you can find it, let me know, does it say that it was their job to decide who the 12th apostle is. None of them decided on their own, and none of them decided about anyone else who should be an apostle. Jesus invited them to follow him. What we learned, what we can infer out of Scripture, it, it all but basically says it, more than just 12 guys walked around with Jesus. In fact, in Luke, it tells us in one place there were four women who walked around with Jesus all the time and supported him in the ministry. The reason Jesus didn't have to raise money from anywhere is because these women, one of them was married to a Roman official and she was able to afford their upkeep. So she took care of Jesus and the, and the disciples and, and made sure they had what they needed. So more than them, more than just the 12 were following Jesus and it was actually only 11 following him. The 12th one was just hanging out uh, for, for three years. Uh, and, and then, of course, he betrayed Christ. So the, the only command we get is that they should wait. Here's what he did not command. He did not command them to do anything other than wait. They were supposed to wait until something happened. And when that big thing happened, then they were to preach the gospel. Nowhere in there did he say replace Judas. Right? So he did not command them to replace the lost apostle. Now that's on the negative side. But before I get to the positive side here, I want to answer the question, why did Peter do it? I don't know is the, is the right answer because none of us know. Okay? But I, 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 I hesitate to say this, but I hope you understand. I don't compare myself to anybody in the Bible, good or bad really, but especially a guy like Peter. But I think I understand Peter's personality. Because it sounds like me. <laughs> Especially when he's messing up. Not when he's doing great things, when he's messing up. That's, I'm going, that's me, that's me, that's me. So I, I recognize this, and I'm not sure Peter ought to have done that. Because I might have done the same thing. So my first, why did Peter do it, might have been because he had ADHD and he was impatient. I mean, they were told to pray, and it's ten days they were there praying, at, you know, about... Two hours in, Peter might have got bored and said, well let's, well, let's see. Well, you know what? We need to replace Judas. And jumped up and said something about it. So I don't know. Secondly, I don't know if you thought about this. He might have done it out of a guilty conscience. Now, because Peter and Judas had done the same thing. Judas commits suicide. Peter gets restored. And that's what I'm going to come back to later and talk about that. But Peter might have been, had what we call survivor's guilt. And he might have been sitting there going, I know the Lord restored me. I know he talked to me, but man, I don't know. And old Judas, he and I, you know, we kind of did the same thing. And I know, let's get a really good guy to replace Judas. Maybe that'll make up for it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe Peter's motives were totally pure. I don't know. I don't think I can say I don't know enough here. I just want you to think about that. Or thirdly, maybe he assumed it needed to be done and he took the leadership. See, that's not a bad thing. 
It's not a bad thing, except if you get out of God's will. So let me, let me show you what Peter did. Peter took charge. Look back at verse 15 again. It says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons in all was about 120. To have a Sanhedrin, to have a law-making body, you needed 120 people. And so the Bible points out there were 120 people there. So he had a Jewishly legal body to appoint someone to be the apostle, okay? But he stood up. And in my my notes, I I do an outline that's just the way I think and kind of stupid. And then I try to put it in language you'd understand afterwards. So in my notes there, I put he stood up when he ought to have been kneeling down. Because if you read the verse before, and you take, here's a way to help you study the Bible sometimes. Not that you ought to throw anything out, but just to get to the meat of the sentence, take out all the prepositional phrases. If you do that in Hebrews 1, there's several verses, and it condenses down to God has spoken through his son who, who sat down. That's, that's the main verse, but man, it's like main sentence, but there's like... Several verses with all kinds of things in between. So we go to verse 14 and 15, take out prepositions and phrases. It says this. All these with one accord were devoted. Well, all these were devoting themselves to prayer. In those days, Peter stood up. It it's almost gives you the sense everybody's praying and Peter goes, hey, guys, wait a minute. <laughs> we need to do something about it. But he, he's, he's grabbing leadership. Why would Peter grab leadership? Because Jesus had given it to him. Jesus had given him this authority. It it says in in Matthew 16, 18 and 19, you know that passage, where Peter says, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My Father in heaven has revealed it to you. And I'm telling you, you are the rock. He was not the rock. But Jesus had made him a rock. He said, you're the rock, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, and what you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven, and what you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Now, let me, let me just help you through what Peter actually did. He had that kind of authority. And so, in the next chapter, which will start next week, it's telling the story of the day of Pentecost. And Peter stands up and preaches... We've got 120 people coming out of an upper room with tongues of fire on their head, speaking in tongues and or speaking to a multitude of people who each had a different language and everybody understood what they were saying. We know that did happen in Acts 2 because it gives witness that the people standing there, it was men from all these nations and they said, Hey, aren't we from different places? How come we're both understanding what he's saying? They they were marveling at it. But nothing happened to anybody else until Peter preached. And Peter unlocked the door and the Holy Spirit not only fell on the apostles, but it fell on the Jewish people there. You with me? Hang with me. You you keep reading Acts, you get to Acts chapter 8. There's a bunch of Samaritans that they run into. And they say, hey, have you heard about the baptism of Jesus? They said, no, we only know about the baptism of John. They, they believed that Jesus was a Messiah. But the last thing they heard was from his cousin John. Well, that's been at least three or four years. At least. It's actually a little bit more than that. And they said, oh, okay. And they sent for Peter. Peter comes to Samaritans, or half Jews, half Gentiles. 
And Peter unlocks the door and the Holy Spirit fell on him only after Peter got there. Acts 10 is an Italian guy named Cornelius who loved the Jewish God and prayed all the time. And God, that's the passage where Peter has to learn that nothing is unclean that God calls clean. They send for Peter. They, well, actually, angels came, uh, angels came to Cornelius told him, get, go get Peter. And he sent men and they got Peter and take Peter back. And Peter goes in and prays and the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. He unlocked the doors so that you and I could be saved today. Because Gentiles can now be saved. I know you grew up in America and you have this attitude like, yeah, we are the, we are the man. We're not. We're the grafted in branch. Read Romans. So don't, don't get all high and mighty. He let us in. He lets anybody gets in is because God lets them in. Right? Amen. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. The only thing you ever deserved was hell. If you're saved, that ain't your fault. And if you ain't saved, that ain't God's fault. Bad English, good theology. Hang in there. So he took charge, and it was his right to do so. He had the keys to the kingdom. Did not mean he wouldn't mess up. Because he messed up after Acts 10, he messed up because there was a bunch of, after Gentiles started getting saved, there was a bunch of Jewish guys going, oh no, it's not Jewish anymore. It's got to be Jewish. And so they said, you got to be a Jew before you can get saved. And Paul has to tell us that Peter got confused about that and he would pretend when the rulers came around that he's helping them be Jewish, but on the other side, and Paul had to correct Peter. I mean, Peter's going to mess up again. Let, let, let me help you with something, just, just in case you, you're worrying about. Having been familiar with addiction, with people that have been addicted to things, a counselor once told us, because a relative of ours was coming out of a program where he'd been delivered from his addiction, and said, let me tell you what recovery means. Recovery means it's a longer space of time between relapses. And if you are in a state of recovery, it'll get longer and longer and longer. But don't think he's not going to mess up. Because he will. But what happens? Even in the church sometimes, somebody messes up. And we just throw them out, put them down, crush them. You know, we, they say we're the army, shoots are wounded. And I'm not against discipline. Because some people say that, like, that's right, Jesus just shouldn't get on other people's case. No, people need discipline. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, turn that guy over, his body over to the devil for destruction, his soul be saved. The dude repented, and in 2 Corinthians, he said, hey, he repented, man, that's enough, quit beating on him. Because they were just kept after him. Paul's like, okay, he's good now, don't, don't, don't keep harming him, don't hurt him. And so, Peter took charge, maybe he wasn't supposed to. Secondly, he used scripture, which is the right thing to do. He found some texts that said, hey, somebody's got to take his place. And Peter's like, well, God's not up to it. So maybe I'm the leader and I'm supposed to get us another apostle because we're supposed to have 12. And so, you know, I I was asking this question. How many many Jewish tribes are there? 12. Well, wait a minute. No, there's more. Because there's no place in Scripture, two places where the tribes 
lists are the same. Joseph had two sons, and Joseph comes out, and his two sons become one. Levites didn't get an inheritance, and Dan disappears in Revelation, and all of a sudden you got 13, 14 tribes, but God only counts 12, but we don't know which 12 he's counting. The Bible says that it was built on the foundation of the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes. Well, how, who are the 12 apostles? Well, we got the 12, but we lost Judas. And so they put in Matthias. Well, that's 12, but Judas had been one, so that was 13. But there, now we're, there's really only 12, but 13, but no 12. But then Paul comes along. Paul says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. He said, I'm the least of the apostles, but I'm not the least, and I'm apostle to the Gentiles. Right? So 13, 14 apostles. God said, I only count 12. So which 12 does God count? I don't know. You don't know. None of us know. So don't let that worry you, because God's got it, okay? That's one of those things when you're a little kid, your parents say, you don't need to worry about that. God's going, you don't need to worry about that. That's not even an important issue for us right now. But what is important is that Peter sought the reasoning out of the scriptures. Now, people will misuse scriptures, right? Some people will hurt other people using scriptures, and we call that proof texting. You'll get some proof text, and you'll beat somebody up with it. And you say, well, the Bible says this, and that's, that you've got to keep the Bible in context and see what the whole thing's saying. But it's always right to obey what the Scripture says. And then the third thing Peter did was he replaced Judas, and that's in verses 21 through 26. And Peter set up two qualifications for the guy. He had to be with them since the baptism of John. He had to, he had to have been with Jesus his entire ministry. How long was Jesus' entire ministry? About three years, right. About three years. Maybe a little bit more, but three years. And, and he had to be a witness, an eyewitness of the resurrection. He had to see the resurrection. Now, Peter made that up. Because, again, there's no instruction to do any of this in the Scripture. And here's where I come down, honestly. God redeems everything he allows. And he put Peter in charge. And if you'll let me humanize the deity just for a moment. Jesus looks. God looks at Jesus and goes. See what happens when you put a guy like Peter in charge. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I know this. Matthias. And if you read. If you were listening when I was reading that. It makes a real big deal about the first guy. And then he doesn't even win. It's sort of how they do shows today. Television shows. You know, when, when there's a big group and somebody's going to win, they focus. The guy they're not talking about the, is the guy that's going to win in the end. I'm just telling you. And that's sort of what the Bible does here. It's like, oh, we got this guy, it's Joseph, but they call him Justice, but his other name is Barsabbas, which means son of the Sabbath. Man, that's exciting. Oh, and by the way, Matthias. And then Matthias wins. <laughs> Yay, Matthias. Tell him what he wins, Jay. A two-week vacation in Sumeria. But anyway... Um, It's weird. And some people say, you know, you never hear about Matthias again. Yeah, you didn't hear anything else about Bartholomew either. So you can't use that as an argument. By the way, so what do we know about apostles that the Bible doesn't talk about? We, we call them traditions. They're stories that have been passed down, and we believe they probably are true, but they're not scriptures, so we can't confirm it. Matthias probably became a missionary to Ephesus. And he, you know, Paul went and established a church in Ephesus, and Matthias went up there and worked there. And that was where he did evangelism. And the other guy, uh, Justice or Barsabbas, 
he, uh, it, it, we believe, was given poison under you know persecution. Drink this poison, and he went. Ah, that's good. Can I have another? It didn't even hurt him. I don't think he said that, but it didn't even hurt him. They made him drink poison, and he was like, yeah, big deal. And so both these guys, man, they did some mighty things for God. And I believe God redeems what he allows. He allowed Peter to go through with it. You know, no angel flew in there and went, Peter, stop. You know, he could have done that, but he didn't do it. He let it happen. So Matthias is an apostle officially on paper. He is. But I want to go back to, because uh, uh, it says he was numbered with the 11. So he's the 12. And so in Acts 2, when it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine and teaching, Matthias is one of the teachers. Just not named by name. So that's what Peter did. But I also want to point out one, else, one other thing out. He used an Old Testament method. This is my big problem. The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. He is not being spirit-led. And he even uses an old, it's the last time they make a decision by casting lots. And it, for us, it sounds like, you know, guys in a back alley throwing dice or something. That, that's not how it worked. They would put like two stones and, okay, we're going to call this one Matthias. It's sort of like when the referee comes out of the NFL game. Okay, this coin today, and it's, it's never a real coin, you know. And this side is going to be heads and this side's going to be tails. So they got two stones. We'll call this one Matthias, this one Justice. We'll see which one comes out. Lord... You know, pick the guy you want. Oh, Matthias. Really? I was voting for justice, you know. And, and so it, that's just how it worked out. But I want to step back and, and, and say there was something here that you and I need to see because it, it'll help us today. It's okay. It's just a baby and babies do that. And, and I love it when babies do that. God bless you, sweetie. You'll take care of that little baby. I know. That'll be great. Um. I can yell louder than the baby anyway, but I don't want to disturb her any more than she's already disturbed. <laughs> Some of y'all feel like that, but you're just not doing that. <laughs> I want you to see, and I'm using humor because we're going to get something a little bit dark, what Judas and Peter had done. These guys had done the same thing. What's the difference? You see, in, in, in uh, John 18, we see both of their stories. In John 18, we see where Judas betrayed Jesus, where he comes into the garden and betrays Jesus. We also see in John 18, Peter denying him. Both of those things have been predicted earlier. In Matthew, in fact, the Bible tells, lets us in another little hint that Judas had already approached the, the uh, council of the Sanhedrin and said, Hey, what do you pay me if I betray him? And then he started looking for it. And the Bible says, and he began to see, seek an opportunity to betray him. And the Last Supper was that opportunity. And then in John 13, when they're in the upper room, you may not know this, but John 14.1 is an address to Peter. You may not know what John 14.1 is, but I'll tell you, at the end of chapter 13, uh, Jesus told them, one of you is going to you know, deny me, and, and he's already out of the room, and they all knew who he's talking about. And Peter said, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. I love you more than anybody. And Jesus goes, really, Peter? Let me just tell you something. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Now, if you're a good friend of Jesus and you know that when he says something like that, he knows what he's talking about. And he just told you that you're going to be an utter failure. I got a feeling Peter may have even taken a step back and gone, oh, I did it again. And since he said it, I know I'm going to do it, even if I don't want to. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth are, don't let your heart be troubled. 
you believe in God, believe in me. The first thing Jesus tells him is quit trusting in your flesh. You trust God, trust me, I am God. And so don't let it kill you. You're going to mess up. But don't worry about it. Trust me. Don't trust yourself. And then he goes, I'm going to go make a place for you. You're going to get to come stay with me after I leave. So don't worry about it. Now, Judas didn't get that speech. And Judas betrayed Jesus. And Peter, you know, they, they go to the garden. Jesus prays. John 17, John 18. They come into the garden. And Satan, the Bible says, back in 13... Having entered Judas. There are demon possessed people in the world. There may be demon possessed people in this room. Believe it or not. You probably run into demon possessed people every day. But they work a little different in America. Is one thing I'm going to be talking about. uh, At the missions conference. But the Bible says Satan entered Judas. Now that's a special kind of hurt right there. Satan entered Judas. So then we go to John 18. John 17, Jesus is in the garden praying. And Judas comes into the garden. By implication, Satan entered the garden. Now you can, you can believe that the devil leave you alone when you're praying. And you don't get whooped. Because he's not going to. You might believe that the church is a sanctuary against the devil. You'd really be crazy. You've never been to a Baptist business meeting. Because fussing and fighting is not of God. Anybody's fussing and fighting at church, somebody's lost and the demons are there somewhere. Just telling you, it happens. And, and you know, I mean, you know more than I know probably about things that have happened. And so you need to understand that. And there's Jesus praying in the garden and Satan comes in. That's why Jesus told him, guys, you need to pray with me. Because there's a test coming, and if you don't pray, you're going to fail because your flesh isn't strong enough to pass it. Same thing he told Peter back in John 14. Trust in God. Trust in me. You've got to get your focus off yourself and on to me. And Peter failed because he hadn't done that. Judas had failed, and Judas never came back. Because, let me tell you why. Judas had remorse. Peter had repentance. And there is a difference in those two. And I'm going to give you a verse to see that in a minute. And the results of that, the results of the remorse versus repentance is in remorse, that's a dark place. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Remorse is being sorry you got caught. Sorry for what you did. Repentance is to change your mind, attitude, and actions. You following me? Remorse is, oh, I'm sorry. And then you try to hide it even more, but you keep doing it. Judas had remorse. He came back with the money. Let me just help you. Because in Matthew it says that he hanged himself in Acts. says he fell in the field and, his, and he burst. Well, if you hang yourself and you hang there long enough, it's going to go bad eventually. And either the rope's going to cut through or the rope broke. And he was swole up and nasty and he hit the ground and popped. Say, that is gruesome. That's scripture, so don't get mad at me. Because that's what happened. I mean, it's an awful picture, and he meant for it to be an awful picture. Because it's set against Peter repenting. 
and being restored in John 21. Remember in John 13, Peter's claim was, I love you more than all these guys. I love you more than anything. That is the word agape. And in John 21 is the story of the disciples. Peter again, John 21, verse 1 uh, or so, is a great teaching verse. It says, they're sitting around and Peter, got, before, the resurrection, uh, before the ascension of Jesus, and again, Peter's bored and he goes, I'm going fishing. And everybody there went, we're going with you because they were bored too. What the leader does, everybody will follow him, right? So they go out fishing. They fish all night. They'll catch anything. Next day, and it's all in John 21. It's a great story. I love to preach on it. If I started on this story in full, we'd be here another hour. The, the next morning, they see somebody stand on the shore. And Jesus says, you didn't catch anything, did you? No. Throw it on the right side. You'll catch something. They went, okay. So they do it. And they pull in more fish than they can pull in. John, the beloved disciple, the one that was closest to Jesus, says, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water and swims to shore. He's about 100 yards out. And he swims in and leaves them to fight the fish. And they come in. And he gets to shore. And there's already a fire. There's already fish. Jesus didn't need them to bring him any fish. He can get his own, thank you very much. He allows us to be fishers of men. Amen? And he starts having a conversation with Peter somewhere in there. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says it three times. And the scripture says, and Peter was grieved the third time. He's aggravated because Jesus said the third time, do you love me? But you see, in English, we only got one word for love, and it's love. And I can love an orange, I can love my dog, and I can love my wife. Three different things. But I only got one word for it. The Greeks had several words. And here's how it sounds in Greek. Peter, number one. Peter, do you love me like God loves you without condition, without any uh, any qualifications at all. And Peter said, Lord, you know I really like you. And he uses the word, that was agape, and Peter uses the word phileo, which means a brotherly love. Jesus said the second time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter said, Lord, I really like you a lot, like a brother. And then Jesus said, Peter, do you like me as a brother? Peter has declared twice now, I, I got off that thing about liking you more than anybody. And now Jesus challenges, do you even like me at all? And Peter was grieved because the third time Jesus said, do you even like me, Peter? And Peter said, you know all things. You know I really like you. And Jesus said, good, you finally got it figured out. You cannot love me like I love you unless I help you, unless the Spirit comes. And then he says, oh, by the way, Peter, you've been young, strong, you're bullheaded, you jump in there, you get things done, but there's coming a day where they're going to carry you where you don't want to go and do to you what you don't want done. Follow me. Jesus never comes and says it's going to be sunlight and roses all the time. He lets us know it's going to hurt. Still want to follow? Peter messed up. <laughs> Turns around and looks at John. Because John just always followed Jesus. He didn't have to ask John. He's just going to show up, man. John jumped up with him. Peter, what about him? Jesus said, don't worry about him. I'm worry about you. And, the, and we learned from tradition again that at the end of Peter's life, they took him to hang him on a cross. And he said, don't hang me 
up, right up, hang me upside down. Because I don't deserve to, to die like Jesus. That, my friend, is repentance. That changes your mind and changes your actions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 tells us this. And that's the verse that shows the difference. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. We see it in Judas. He felt bad about it. Listen, the road to repentance is already slippery and it's only made more slippery by tears. It's not about crying. It's not about feeling bad. It's about saying, you're right, I'm wrong, and I'm going to quit living my life my way, and I'm going to live it your way. And it's changing our mind, our actions, our direction. And when we know we've sinned, we turn to the cross and see what Jesus did there. And that's where we go for our place of repentance, is to the cross of Christ. Judas tried to give back the money. Judas felt bad about it. Judas said, I don't want this. Take it back. There is no taking it back. I can't speculate what would have happened if Judas had gone to Jesus because that's not what happened. But I do know this. The route he took took him deeper and deeper and deeper. And Satan rode him until he killed himself. I've had to deal with people that have committed suicide, deal with the aftermath of that. And one thing that really bothers people because there's a, a belief that if you commit suicide, you can't go to heaven. And that's just based out of an idea that you've got to ask for forgiveness after your sin. And, and so you, you're telling me, uh, you know, you're about to get in a wreck and you cuss. And then that wreck kills you. You don't get to go to heaven. You see, when Jesus forgave me of my sins, I hadn't committed any of them yet. But in his mind, I committed all of them. He forgave all my sin. I don't have to go and ask forgiveness. I go and confess my wrong. I go to God and say, I messed up. I know I messed up. This is what you call it, and I'm going to call it the same thing, and this is how I messed up, but I'm going to look at the cross because right there is where you died and your blood was shed that I could be forgiven, and I am forgiven, but I want to have a right relationship with you. I want to be restored, just like Peter was restored and reconciled on the seashore in John 21. I want to be restored in relationship to you, I want to follow you, and I don't want to do that mess anymore. I want to follow you. And as we do that, God, the Holy Spirit, comes and fills us with the power to go forward. Ten days between the Ascension and Pentecost. And in that, if one side of this, if Peter was wrong, he messes up in those ten days. But when the Spirit comes, he gets up, preaches in the power of the Spirit, and 3,000 people get saved. Or you can listen to the devil going, oh, you done messed up. You messed up, A.A. Ron. You can't get anywhere now. And you'll quit. And you'll keep going down, 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 down. Don't let the devil do that to you. Not only does Jesus restore, he restores completely. He gives back everything. And he helps you get to where you need to be. And so trust him and don't trust yourself. So, what can you do about it? Well, 
First of all, I'd say do what Jesus commanded this week. Don't worry about it and don't presume what Jesus wants. Know what Jesus wants. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says you can know what the will of God is. Secondly, don't jump ahead, but don't lag behind. After a sermon like this, you're going to go, well, I would act, but now I'm afraid to act because Peter might have acted when he shouldn't have acted. Don't worry about it. Act when you feel like God wants you to act. Go ahead. God will fix it. God will take care of it. He, he didn't condemn Peter in Acts about what he did. The Bible nowhere says Peter messed up. So I don't have any right to say Peter messed up. I certainly don't have that right. But rightly interpret the Scripture. Make sure you read the Scriptures rightly and rightly study them. And then thirdly, use repentance to be restored. Don't just feel sorry for yourself. Judas felt sorry for himself. Oh, I messed up. Some people believe that Judas might have done that to spur Jesus into taking over and becoming the king and running Rome out. Because it wasn't that Judas hated Jesus. But he was wrong in what he... He also was trying to get God to do something that God didn't want to do. So know the will of God. Study the scriptures. Make sure you are in the will of God and... When you do realize, oh, I messed up, just use repentance to be restored. Don't just think, into, oh, I messed up, I'm worthless. I'm... No, forget all that. You're a child of God. Romans 8, 1 says, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We now know Christ and there's no condemnation. There's conviction when we mess up, but there's not condemnation. We're not judged by God that we're going to hell because we messed up. Rather, there's conviction to get our lives right and in tune with him and do what he wants, not what I want.